Hello, everybody, and welcome back to... We've Got Mail! This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. And everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I, uh, for the purposes of this email, I do have a nickname. You can call me Rockmeister McCool, if you wish. I insist that you do. And, uh, yeah, here's how this works. You, you send us correspondence. <laughs> we read it, and uh, we answer it's your questions, nice. we, we respond nice to your prompts. correspond, isn't it? It is, actually, and uh, and this is one of our favorite things to do. So it's real simple. You can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net, or if you'd prefer, you can send us some mail the old-fashioned way. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter to uh, the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. That's right. Uh, and Whitney... Yes. Uh, we got some catching up to do. Let's dive right in. Yeah, we got, got some letters here. Here's a letter from Name Redacted. Okay. If there's no name at the bottom of the letter, I'm not going to read it from the top. Nope. So, That's how uh, you... So, yeah, it's, like, it's like Dear Abby. It's how you choose to be... Yeah. It's like... It's I, I, am, con- I am concerned in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. Film loving in... Fargo. <laughs> Took me a minute. <laughs> Took me a minute to remember a place name with an F. I, I know um, Dan Savage, the advice columnist... Mm. Um, when people sign off their names, they can write whatever they want, mm. and Dan Savage will always abbreviate it. So over the years, people have found like clever acronyms they can mm. spell out with their own name. Nice. Anyway. We that, don't do that. That's not happening here. No. Uh, yeah, so this one comes from Name, name Redacted. It says, Hello, Bibbs and Whitney. I'm writing to you guys this email to briefly talk about two subjects. Mm. First, the relevant one, advertising and art. Mm. In the critically acclaimed episode where we reviewed the Oscars and Scream 6, oh, this is like, we just got this Really, yeah, really recent. recent. That, okay, that wow. episode just went up. Well, the iron's um, hot. You briefly talked about this subject on how advertising uses the language of art to a nefarious purpose. Well, I'm a graphic designer, mm. and I've been working in advertising and marketing for over 15 years now. Mm. And I can safely say that I agree with Whitney on that. <laughs> I was worried here for a yeah. second. <laughs> we ad people are the scum of the earth. Oh. But I believe there is a greater distinction to have between the two and its purpose. Uh, Art is about expression. Advertising is about communication. Mm. We prefer the term communicate instead of selling you shit. (laughs) Fair enough. Even in college, we are incentivized to not see ourselves as artists. Since a piece of art's only true goal is to express the feelings and ideas of its creator, we as communicators are bound to a commercial goal, so we have to be capable of separating our artistic vision from what's right for the product we are selling, and that's a really difficult thing to learn sometimes. Uh, that sometimes the ugly ugly design better fits the product and the market. Of course, all of this lies in a spectrum. There are designers, advertisers, and such who have a really strong style or language who manage to carve a spot on the market for themselves to the point that the brand goes to them when they want something done in that style. And there are advertisers who are pure Early briefing, uh, briefing executive machines, mm. excuse me, briefing ex- executing machines. Mm. You say what you want and they deliver. I'm sure, I'm sure by now you have made the parallel to the film industry and to any other commercial application of art, film, music, design, fashion, tattooing, whatever it is. Mm. There will always be auteurs and workmen in a, and us in between. I'm just trying to fit our form of expression into a medium commoditized by capitalism. Yeah. Uh, for, yeah, it's complicated. Um, th- thanks for laying it out so succinctly. Yeah, that, listen, it it takes art and mm. artistry to produce a lot of things that some people are less than comfortable calling art. I think mm. it's all art, but it, it, and it's a question of to what mm. end. Yeah, and whether you're 
an auteur and you're simply creating art uh, for your own needs, your own expression to uh, express whatever you feel like saying, or you are working for, uh, for example, an ad agency or a company, you maybe work for hire at a studio and have been hired to make the movie the studio wants to make. That's mm-hmm. not strictly speaking advertising, but you are not completely in control of that vision. You are working within the confines of people whose larger goal is to make money. Yeah. The, the the close relationship between cinema and capitalism is very frustrating mm-hmm. because cinema, for the most part, is still one of the most expensive mediums on the planet. And uh, so if you're going to spend enough money to make a major motion picture, people usually just don't want to throw that down a well. They want to get some return on that. And so they want something that they mm-hmm. think will make money back. And then that's when your work of art Become, also becomes a product. Becomes a commercial product. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is true. Uh, I I, th- I think I heard it said that um, film is second only to architecture mm. as the most expensive art form, at least on uh, average. Yeah, not uh, yeah, yeah, like mo- movies. Uh, and I'm not just talking about blockbusters; just no. movies in general uh, no, are, like, are hugely expensive. Cheap movies, mm. movies that are considered low budget, still cost tens, if not hundreds, of thousands of dollars. It doesn't cost yeah. that much to make a painting, usually, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just really expensive. I remember uh, the movie Skinamarink, which came out yeah. earlier this year. Um, still one of my favorites. Scared scared the Great dickens movie. out of me. Great um, movie. I think it's one of the best movies yeah. of the decade so far. Uh, but Skinamarink, uh, I think, cost $15,000 Canadian mm-hmm. uh, to make. Fif- and, That's you know, very cheap for a movie. It's for still a, movie, a lot of money. It's like... You could buy a used car for that. That's yeah. if if you just sort of had that lying around. Yeah, I don't have that money, but yeah. and a lot of people don't. That's a lot of money mm-hmm. to throw at a work of art, regardless. But yeah. it's, you know, by movie standards, it's cheap. Anyway, it's a complicated situation, yeah, and uh, when you, when you enter the industry, wherever side you enter, um, it can be really disillusioning to discover how connected those things are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and how beholden uh, even. Yeah. The most uh, forward-thinking auteur is yeah. they're going to be uh, they're going to get some studio notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they, that's every every like largely a lot of the great quote unquote auteurs. Mm. At some point, they have to get someone to give them money, yeah, and you yeah. need to be able to tell them well, you'll get uh, them back. That's what happened to a lot of uh, great filmmakers. I Orson know, Wells. Uh, yeah, Orson Welles famously couldn't get any funding because yeah. he kind of hated the Hollywood system and he didn't want to go in and start schmoozing to get the money. Yeah. Uh, in uh, in his book Carsick, John Waters uh, tried to imagine like what would be the best case scenario if he were to hitchhike across country, mm. and he ended up uh, hitch- hitching a ride with some like freelance weed dealers <laughs> who just happened to have like millions of dollars of untraceable cash buried on their properties. Like, oh, we'll just give it to you, make your money that way. Nice. Like that's how he wanted to get the money. That's good. He don't have to raise it from somebody. He don't have to like guarantee it. He just sort of has this unmarked cash. It's not stolen from anybody. Something that uh, people have talked about lately with the uh, rise of quote unquote AI art. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, and a lot of people are like, oh, this is democratized art. And it's like, no, it's stealing art. And um, you're not actually making that art. You're you're getting someone else to do it. And they're just kind of doing it in an automated yeah, fashion. Well, I, I th- it used to be uh, you would pay someone to make art. Either because yeah, yeah. you hired them to perform something or you were what we call a patron of the arts. Mm. I wish we had more of those. People I feel who just like gave a- you money to make art because they liked it. I think a lot of... A lot of uh- a lot of the AI art is sort of catching on. It's mostly a novelty right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not sure uh, 100% if in our lifetime we'll see an AI feature film. 
I, I suspect uh, technically that I'm sure someone's already done it. Well, I mean, they're already doing like AI Seinfeld episodes. Uh-huh. So somebody's working on it. Yeah. It's probably coming sooner than we think, yeah. but we'll see. Uh, so many people have been encouraged to think of films as commercial products. Right. That aesthetics are all that matters. Mm. doesn't matter if it's the work of an artist. If it looks cool, then mm-hmm. that's all they care about. And I've seen some of those AI things. They look pretty cool. Some of them look some cool. Some of the Disney, like... I've seen some stuff that looks like, oh, that's a neat image. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. It's... Th- even if you consider the AI to be the quote-unquote artist who is working for whoever's ever asked for the work of art to be created... Mm. Well, it's, it's not an artist. It's a machine. Exactly. It's, it's generated and, automatically. An artist is using all of the crafting that they've learned and all of their life experience to tell you something uh-huh. even if you're working in advertising you're trying to communicate someone else's message you're the one creating that communication you're the one saying here's the best way to do that yeah even if it's not necessarily you know what would be considered the, the glossiest way to do it um it's still filtered through an artist hmm. an artist has something to say an artist has taste uh ai doesn't AI is a collection of images. Yeah, it's just, just it, it's it has just nothing to say. Yeah. The, ergo, AI art. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you what prompt you put in there. I, I don't think that qualifies as art because that is not the AI trying to convey anything to you. Mm-hmm. That is an AI mathematically culling together images that have certain yeah. attributes or hashtags. Yeah, well, and that's that's mm-hmm. even if it looks nice. Yeah, it's well, not it's not made by someone who's trying to convey anything. Ergo, it is not of interest to me. There's a, there's something to be said for the way it's displayed. Mm-hmm. If you were to hang some of those AI images uh, in a photo museum as this sort of kind of aesthetics experiment, mm-hmm. you could consider those as works of art. Are you saying? Uh, are you saw, saying like if you, if you pass them off as a real person's art? Or no, no. You as say, like, isn't it interesting is, that this is what AI does? Yeah, this is what okay. AI does. Like, I think kind as long of as you frame it that, that way, yeah. I think you can look at it and say that's interesting. Yeah, uh, maybe. I saw. Uh, I went that's to a technical a, uh, I went to a photographic exhibit, yeah. and uh, pointed out like within the last decade, I think like one million times the number of photos were taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in like just the last ten years, than in all photography's history prior to that, everyone in the, has a phone yeah. in their pocket now. Yeah. Everyone has a camera and on them all the time. One of the photos they had on the wall was a photo of a cat that it accidentally took of itself. Yeah, uh, the cat hit like a phone and took a picture of itself. Yeah, is that art? The cat is not making art. Uh-huh. The cat is a cat. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's art. I think it's interesting. But yeah, I think it's an no. interesting thing to look at. And yeah. I, I feel the same way about AI. Yeah. That it's it's this weird sort of aesthetic experiment that mm-hmm. people are sort of trying with uh, and and coming up with some s- striking artificial looking images. I, again, I, is there novelty? Sure. Yeah. Uh, is it an, uh, an, a meaningful work of expression from someone who wanted to convey something to you? No. Anyway, this letter isn't done. Though. I know, I know. Okay, well, you, okay. you, we, we paused. We got right. through one topic. So there were two <laughs> okay. topics. Yeah, they the, were listed. The second subject, going back to the letter here, yeah. uh, is more personal. And I'll yeah. understand if you don't respond, since it's a lengthy email already. Uh, too yeah, late. it's not. It's uh, but I just wanted to thank you guys for helping me through a tough time. I've oh. been listening to you guys since the B-Movies podcast. Wow. Uh, yeah, we, we started the B-Movies podcast in 2011. It's been a long time. Yeah, we've made a lot of podcasts. Yeah, uh, and in 20... 2016-ish, I had a big breakup with a girl who works in the movie industry, a writer, and I 
and I wrote to you guys asking for your advice on how to get uh, back to watching movies since I was having a hard time doing that. And your advice that really helped was maybe don't. Don't feel pressured to come back to something that isn't doing you well right now just because you feel that you need to. And you were right. I was struggling because I thought I lost part of my identity, but I slowly realized I had so many more interests and aspects of my personality than just watching every movie that comes out. I did what you told me, focused on me. Eventually, I started watching horror movies again. I've always been a, always a favorite genre of mine, but for a period, it became all I watched. Mm. And eventually, that rekindled my passion for the art form. So thanks. You gave good advice. Oh, wow. Oh, thank goodness. Thank you. <laughs> Even if at the time, Glad I didn't see it. it as that, and I really helped me get out of a really big depressive state. Bibbs, I know you also struggle with mental health. Thank you for being so open about it and talking about it as you do. It really helped me come to terms with my mental health and seek help when I needed. Wow. Just uh, want, to, want to let you know that you had a positive impact on so many people, and I'm thankful for both of you. Oh, well, thank you. That's so sweet. Thank you. Uh, sorry for the rambling nature of an email <laughs> and for any mistakes or weird phrasing. English is not my first language. Oh, well, you, you did great. Completely understand. Um, thank you for that. That means a lot to me. Um, <laughs> mm. we, we, we make so much. We, 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 we try to communicate our own, you know, art, our own, our own stories. We, we filter our art through a reaction to specific media. Film criticism is an art in and of itself. It's just an art that responds to one particular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I gotta be honest, sometimes I have no idea if we're, if we're <laughs> doing any good whatsoever. <laughs> it's hard to tell. Yeah. You know, we, we write it on our laptops we podcast on our laptops and then we send it out into the world and we just hope that someone likes it. Uh, and even if only a few people do, even if only one person does, it's, that is great, actually. Yeah. Thank I'm actually about to cry. Aww. Thank you so much for saying so. It's so nice to hear, hear that we were able to reach somebody. To tell someone that, that they're appreciated, mm. um, is a lot yeah. and especially if it's someone who is like putting their work out there mm-hmm. and it's it, it's so easy to either get no feedback or exclusively bad feedback yeah. from assholes uh and just to question whether or not it's even worth it so thank you i actually really needed that today thank you that was very kind of you and i'm glad mm-hmm. we were able to help a little bit that means a lot to me Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, here's an, uh, the next letter. That's it. Okay. It's I'm, from I'm Favor Dave. One nice. word. Favor Dave. I love it. Uh, hello, Favor Dave. Favor Dave. Uh, hello, William and Whitney. Uh, big fan of yours since the early days of Cancel Too Soon. Oh, thank First you. time writer to any show any wow. ever. Thank you. Fan well, mail what virgin. Uh, it says fan mail virgin. Uh, fan mail debut. Uh, yeah, I'm trying trying to phase out the word virgin. Yeah, and uh, really start, especially when it comes to sexuality. So I yeah. say, make your sexual debut. Yeah. Yeah, step out on the stage for the first time, as it were. Yeah, good for you. you. Um, some quick relevant background info. Even though I'm aged right between the two of you, I've only mm. heard the legends of the video store guys. Mm. Having gotten most of my rentals from Blockbuster as a teenager. Ah. So I've been playing with ChatGPT, speaking oh, of a- AI, yeah, for a okay, few weeks and find the results <laughs> generally disappointing. Yes, it can answer some easily Google questions and solve some math problems, but it seems unable to go further than either. One of the questions I asked pertinent uh, to you guys was, what are the global viewership numbers for the Oscars? Got nothing. Yeah. Then I remembered a mystery I've been trying to solve for decades. A movie I saw on TV when I was five or six. Okay. I uh, didn't remember the plots at all. It was... Kind of a sword and sorcery movie I loved as a kid, and I still do. At one point, the younger of the two heroes raised a small army of zombies and was accosted by the older one. Knowing the sorcerer uh, who looked like a young man to me, 
uh, at five may very well be a child. I phrased my question in a very specific way. I attached screenshots of the chat B- uh, GPT conversation. Okay. Now, so many details about the movies are completely wrong, but it got the right title, which is exactly how I imagine a real video store clerk would have done. Okay. Do film experts like yourselves have this problem? It would be interesting to see if it can help in the deeper cuts. So, uh, let's see. Mm. Um, chat GPT. Sure. I'm sorry about that. This is the, the, the computer yeah. speaking. Um, another movie that fits your description is Wizards of the Lost Kingdom, 1985. Yeah. Yeah. A low-budget sword and sorcery film directed by Hector Oliveira. Uh, the movie follows a young warrior named Simon, played by Vidal Peterson, who teams up with a young sorcerer named Kor, played by Tom Christopher, to save their kingdom from the evil wizard Shurka, played by Norman Burton. Kor is a young apprentice sorcerer who is initially hesitant about using his powers, but he gradually gains confidence and proves himself he's, to be a valuable ally to Salem. It sounds like ad copy. He's a little yeah. asshole is what he is. Yeah. Have you ever seen that movie? Uh, it was on Mystery Science Theater. They did both, yeah. both, that and the sequel were both in MST3. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, the movie features a mix of practical and special effects, including stop motion animation and puppetry, and has gained a cult following for its low-budget charm and cheesy dialogue. Wizards of the Lost Kingdom was successful enough to spawn a sequel the following year, Wizards of the Lost Kingdom 2, 1989, which features a different cast and crew. <laughs> It says the following year, but it also says 1989, which is four years after the first one. Mm. Uh, and then uh, our, our uh, listener wrote back and saying, that's the right one. I've been trying to solve this mystery for years. And the chat bot said, I'm glad I can help solve this mystery for you. If you have any more questions, feel free to ask. And uh, what is this? I don't know. Oh, um, also asked, a sword and sorcery movie from the 80s, which the male hero had a younger male sidekick who was an inexperienced sorcerer. That was the cue. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. That would have probably gotten me there. Yeah. Based on your description, the movie you're thinking is might be The Beastmaster, a sword and sorcerer during Don Coscarelli. And yeah. it just sort of does the same shtick with Beastmaster. There's no, there's no, it, there's no like amateur sorcerer in The Beastmaster memory serves. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I might have gone be... crawl, but because there's yeah. that one magic guy who's like kind of a charlatan, but uh, he befriends the Cyclops. Oh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, the algorithms that recommend movies to people mm. uh, based on very complicated uh, tagging. Mm. Uh, what, things, what you've you know. searched for in the past. All yeah, that kind and, of and stuff. yeah, every movie, you, you're not going to see them all on the screen, but every movie has like 30 to 100, to sometimes mm. even hundreds of tags, little yeah. keywords that sort of are subgenres that they can be described by. Sometimes it's an actor's name, often it's a genre. Uh, and when you watch something on a streaming service, say Netflix, when it says uh, what's coming up next or what we recommend for you, it's all based on those tags. Yeah. Uh, as far as I know, they're still doing the tag system at, at a lot of these streaming mm-hmm. services. I don't think they're yet going full bore AI with like recommendations. Uh, but it sounds like that's kind of where we're headed. Uh, these AI bots are going to start scanning movies for mm. certain kinds of visuals, which computers yeah. can do certain kinds of plot elements based on like tags that people have written. Uh, and they'll be able to start churning out very similar recommendations that are, I think a little bit more uh, carefully similar to what you just watched. I mean, yeah, but similar mm. is not the kind of reaction you are, you would get from a video store clerk. No. Uh, I feel like those recommendation machines are, they, they never do the deep cuts. They never do anything yeah. really strange. Yeah. And they're not going to be based on really ineffable things. Yeah. Like, cool. Like, awesome. Or availability. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Like, there's, there's, um, 
if you want to just find a list of movies that have a certain characteristic, mm. like let's say you want to find every movie that takes place on or around the holiday of Easter. Yeah. Pulling something out of a hat. Uh, and you'll see a list on Wikipedia. It's not a, it's not a complete list, but it's probably a good starting point. Uh-huh. And boom, there's your list. You know what Wikipedia isn't going to tell you? If they're good. They'll tell you if the <laughs> reviews are good. Yeah. But someone who can talk to you, know you, someone whose taste you trust, will be able to even just, even if they just look at that list and go, that sucks. Yeah. That movie is great. That movie is deeply problematic. That movie has a really great style, but the plot's not very good. Is that what you're looking for? Are you looking for plot? Like... There are ineffable qualities uh, to a lot of art, and just to appreciating someone's taste, to to be able to recommend a movie, not because it just meets a certain set of criteria, but because I have experience with that movie, and I know how to explain why you should see that movie and what you can get out of it that would be exciting. Yeah. That was the measure of, I think, a quality video store clerk. Someone who understood... The material. This is this difference between, like, going to a store, going going to like, I don't know, a pharmacy that has some books on like a rack, uh-huh. and going to a bookstore with someone who has read the books, yeah, and can tell you like, yeah, that's a romance book, but this is a good romance mm. book. This is a romance book that's something interesting. Like someone who can share their enthusiasm. And I think it's a lot of, of art is that we want to share an experience with someone else. You know, we want well, that, to... that's our profession, isn't it? Well, that's yeah. our profession, but I think that's what people, anyone who experiences art wants to do. You can appreciate it for yourself, but to be able to share in that experience and go, did you see what I saw? Hmm. Did, you, did you enjoy that too? Oh, you had a different take. That's interesting. That, I think, is a valuable thing in art. And I think that's something that we crave. And I think we crave that even from people who recommend our movies. So, listen, I use... Google searches and things when I can't quite place a movie. I remember a quote, but what quote is that movie from? Mm-hmm. I use that too, but yeah. I don't use them too much for recommendations. The most I will do is I'll say, I had no idea that movie exists. I'll mm. seek it out for myself and decide. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, when it comes to recommendations, mm. uh, I've always felt uh, in the streaming era, the best way to go about it is just get the right service. Mm. Um the better streaming services, at least as far as I'm concerned, mm. are very carefully curated already. Yeah. And if you trust the people who are curating it, not necessarily people you know, not you yeah. know, critics, or uh, but you know, just the people who are running the, the service. Uh, if you know the service, though, you're going to know kind of what you're getting into. I feel yeah. like Shudder Shutter do- well doesn't have a really huge selection. They only yeah. have maybe like 200 movies in any given time, and which they, is and listen, small And they have the limitations service. as well. They have stuff that they're not into that maybe they should be, but... Mm-hmm. If you like what's on Shutter, mm-hmm. if it's on Shutter, you might want to check it out. Yeah, like they, you know, they, like, oh, I don't know that movie, clearly, but if it's on Shutter, maybe check that one out. It's clearly curated by a lot of people who know the horror genre very, very well and yeah. know what's sort of essential in terms of like what what to see horror and, and to have a lot of like deep cuts as well. Like, if you want to yeah. see some like obscure Italian horror movie, they'll have that yeah. on there. There's a decent chance that if it's um, on Shutter. It's at least interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. very fond of Ovid. I've, t- I've talked up Ovid a heck of a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ovid.tv. Uh, I even had a podcast uh, with uh, B. Peterson, one of our listeners. Yep. Uh, she and I stopped doing that, but um, 
I think you can find them somewhere. Yeah, there's uh, on, a, on her uh, her network, which was called the Screens Margins. There's a service um, I like to throw on when I can't decide what to watch called Raygun, <laughs> which is uh, it's like a roulette wheel. Yeah, well, you can just sift through it, but basically, you go to Raygun. It's uh, it's got like a, it's public domain exploitation. It's movies, mostly public yeah. domain stuff, and uh, but it's but it's fun public domain stuff mm. and so you go there and it's just i don't know why i hit the ray gun roulette reel mm. it's all free you watch a few ads for ray gun which is weird i guess no, no, there's no advertisers other than ray gun yeah and ray gun just wants you to throw a couple of bucks their way so they'll stop showing you the ads which is fine but they don't put them in the middle of the movie which i appreciate they just sit through a few ahead of time, and they're a little obnoxious, but whatever. But then you'll watch something like, hey, here's one of the Bruce Lee exploitation films that came out after he died. Boom. Bet you never saw that. Actually, I hadn't. Thanks, Raygun. That's really interesting. Yeah, we've, seen some really really, we've seen really great international horror movies from like the 60s in there. And okay. like, I've seen really good movies on Raygun, and also just fun, cheap exploitation. Yeah, it's so, just, uh, I don't know what to watch. I want to put something on until I go to sleep. Boom. Raygun. Yeah, th- Thank you. There, there's a Always cou- fun. And there's a couple... Uh, I feel like Disney Plus is pretty carefully curated. It is. They have this huge catalog that they can tap into. They know who their audience uh, is. And in, so yeah. in America, in Europe, they have more of their Hulu stuff. It's a bit more scattered. Okay. But in America, it's yeah, much more I, focused on the, the, what Disney's proud if, of. If you like those brands and you're familiar with that stuff, go to Disney. I, I, and you know what? I don't need all the Star Wars on streaming, so I'm fine. But, but how, You know what I've been watching on Disney Plus lately that I'm actually like just kind of fond of? Hmm. Uh, the old 1950s Zorro TV show. Oh, they have that on Disney. They have that right. on T, and you know what? They clean it up nice. Okay, like it actually looks good. Like it, it's fun. All right. Honestly, it's a pretty well made show for what yeah. it is. Uh, Still holds up pretty good. When it comes to a lot of those studio based uh, streaming services, yeah. it's just what the studio put out, and they're pretty yeah. sprawling and they're not curated. No, it's, it's just, just whatever a big we got. pile of whatever they got, and, and it's, it's not even it's not even everything they've got. Yeah, it's just frustrating. At least like, put it all. So, out so there, yeah, like know? Netflix, Amazon, Paramount, uh, yeah. Peacock. Hulu, Peacock. It, it's just a sneeze of movies. It's like yeah. uh, if you just sort of are randomly sifting through. Yeah. So those ones aren't so well curated. If there is if there is stuff that they have that you're really into. Like, if you want to watch Murder, She Wrote, boom, Peacock. Yeah. They have mm. all the Murder, She Wrote. Great. That's a wonderful thing to just throw on. Mm. Uh, that might be worth it for you, because that's like a couple hundred hours of television <laughs> right there. But, um, not yeah, it, that's mm. not necessarily always the case. Yeah. yeah and the more they get split up like that and suggest, here's what we own, the more services you have to buy in order to get a relatively complete package, and it's just annoying. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah, that... Going to, like, a recommendation machine might be our future, but for now, the best way to go about it is just get a better service. Get a better service. Get a better or, streaming service. Go to Night Flight. Or, Night Flight is another favorite of mine. Or talk to uh, people who like movies. Yeah, or, like yeah. you. I'm sure there are movies you could recommend to somebody, and people will recommend those movies to you. Social media is a great way to meet those people. A lot of film critics, myself included, I don't always have the time, but if someone tweets me and says, hey, what do you recommend? I'm mm-hmm. trying to watch a movie tonight or, or whatever, and I have the time. I'll throw a recommendation your way. Maybe mm. it'll help you. Maybe it won't. But yeah, I'm on, I'm on I, the, I love being able to do that. I'm, I'm on the Twitters. I was on Hive, and then I got locked out of Hive, and I forgot my <laughs> my account. Oh no! Like my sign in stuff. Bummer. So if I want to go back on Hive, I have to like start another account. It's like oh, that man. sucks. And, and nobody followed me over to Hive. I was very upset. I liked Hive. Hive was, was good. good. It just wasn't. It the, the they didn't have good security. That's what it boiled down to. Oh, is that what the problem was? That was the problem. Was? Oh, okay. was. Yeah, they didn't have very good security okay, features. Well, I'm was... still looking for a Twitter alternative because I don't want to. I, I don't want to stay in that sewer anymore. I know. I but know. I'm on it. I'm in the I'm sewer. So if you're in the sewer with me, I'll give you a yeah. give you a recommendation. Here's a letter from Doctor Nova. 
Dr. 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 Nova. Nova. Always good to hear from you. Occasionally. Uh, Hi, Bibbs and Whitney. Uh, I love mainstream movies. This may be shocking for people that know, uh, that know me because I'm always talking about all the weird stuff that I have uh, seen. My reasoning is thus. You already know about the new Batman movie. Let me tell you about this. Yeah. Uh, Letterboxd has made my hobby of recommend mo- recommending movies a lot easier uh, because I search for four and five star movies and suggest ones with that vibe. You like Batman, but you haven't seen Zorro, that kind of thing. Sure. Uh, with that in mind, here are my favorite movies no one has seen, but for fun I call it Movies only cool people have seen. <laughs> uh, number one, uh, The Watermelon, Watermelon Woman. Ah, uh, great movie. Sh- Sheldon, yeah, yeah. Uh, I suggested this to my friends who thinks Clerks is the best indie movie ever, not because I think it's better, but because it has the same energy. Oh, there's there's a couple scenes in mm-hmm. Video Store in both yeah. films. They've got uh, some overlap. they got some mm-hmm. overlap. Uh, we hadn't seen Watermelon Woman until you just mentioned them. B. Mm-hmm. Peterson recommended it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm we, so glad they did. We, we watched it on Ovid. That's yeah. one of the best movies of, of the 90s, as far it's, as I'm it's concerned. It's really, really great. It's an excellent <laughs> film on a wide variety of levels. Mm-hmm. It's not only historically significant, but really awesome and yeah. I highly recommend it to everybody so yeah. great great pick and it's uh, not talked about enough unfortunately it's, it should be talked about more. Uh, it, it is in like academic circles but yeah it's enough not, was yeah. the operative word in that right. sense yeah um, this is a movie I don't know this is the, the top mm, uh, yeah. top five uh, number two Empire of Corpses I don't know Empire Do know of Corpses that one? That sounds uh, you know people say this movie was made for me and then they mention the Avengers or something that was made for everyone well this movie was made for me it is a queer anime mm. about Watson using Frankenstein's notes to give his zombie boyfriend a soul. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. You know oh, what? I think I heard of this, but I never got around to watching it. That sounds really also, cool. Also, Irene Adler is a robot who thinks she doesn't have a soul, but goes through the Tin Man arc. It's perfect, and everyone I tell about refuses to watch it. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's not... I gotta be honest. That sounds cool. Yeah. That sounds cool. Uh, right. Number three. Oh, this this makes my heart sing. The Silence of the Hams. Oh, Thank you, Whitney. Whitney this <laughs> this made you my favorite critic for weird stuff even though I barely agree with you about mainstream movies but please tell me about this shit (laughs) okay The Silence of the Hams Uh, was a, a, a slapstick farce. A spoof, spoof movie. movie. Yeah, of, of like thriller uh, films, like Psycho and Silence of the Lambs. Uh, yes, yeah, named after Silence of the Lambs. It's more a spoof of Psycho. It was done by a filmmaker named Ezio Greggio, an Italian filmmaker, mm-hmm. who was hand-selected by Mel Brooks mm. to kind of be his progeny. Mm. Mel Brooks is in the movie as a cameo. Yeah, uh, but like the, just basically, hey, here's a new wave of yeah, slapstick this, and, uh, spoof movies. And, it, and it's one of those, uh, like, Zucker Abram Zucker style, where it's just, like, gag. Yeah. Se- yeah. Every second there's a new gag. I'll, some of them aren't funny, but it doesn't matter because the next one's coming right around the corner. Yeah. And uh, I think the hit-to-miss ratio is really high in that movie. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's like, maybe 10% don't really work. It's completely absurd. It's yeah. really, really fun. Billy Zane is in it. Yeah. Uh, he plays the... He plays the Jodie Foster role, and his character is named <laughs> Jodie Foster. That's pretty funny. Uh, that's a, that's yeah. a stupid joke, but that's that's uh, actually pretty. Dom funny. Dom DeLuise plays the uh, uh, Hannibal Lecter spoof yeah. character. His name is Animal Hannibal Cannibal Pizza. <laughs> Animal Cannibal Pizza. Oh, sorry about that. Doctor Animal Pizza is his name. I, I wish uh, I liked this movie as much as you did. <laughs> I finally watched John, it at your John behest. A- John Aston's in it. Shelley Winters. Martin Balsam plays himself. I finally it's, watched this movie at your yeah. behest, and you're right. It's one of those joke in movies. I didn't think the hit-to-miss ratio on the jokes was that high. <laughs> but when it hit, it hit hard. Yeah. And it's got one of my favorite visual gags in a movie where um, um, 
it's like an establishing shot and you see like the moon and it's dark and mm. spooky and you see like a big old clock tower uh-huh. and then it's like oh what a great oh, establishing the shot bong, the bong you hear the bong and then the camera like zooms out a little bit and you realize that that's like a little a the, little oh, like the clock tower is is his wristwatch. It's like just sitting his on wristwatch. A, this little tiny clock. And he was like happened to be like yeah. next to a little diorama or something. He just picks up the clock tower and his wristwatch and takes the time. I'm like, oh, it's four. And I'm like, that is a really <laughs> I not only that's a stupid joke, but the effort they went into uh-huh. to make a joke that stupid uh-huh. is what makes it glorious. That they mm-hmm. went to all that effort for a really nonsensical joke. Uh-huh. Great, <laughs> it's so <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, yeah. The, the the cameos from Joe Dante and John Carpenter are completely notable. Uh, yeah. I like the visual gag where um, Billy Zane is writing a letter in longhand, yeah. but the page is typed. Like it's like a little <laughs> little tiny details like that. Yeah. Um, I, uh, when he uh, introduces himself as an FBI agent, he reaches into his coat and pulls out his wallet uh-huh. or his his badge. Yeah, but, but it's, it's like a hamburger. It's, it's a toaster waffle. Like he just waffle? sort of shows That's a waffle right. and then he puts it back in his coat. You, yeah. you almost don't notice it. It's yeah. like little absurd stuff like that. Yeah. We should move on. What was on the list? Number four is Blue. Oh, Derek Jarman's uh, Blue. Derek Jarman's Blue. Nice. This is the most interesting film uh, about uh, movie about AIDS ever. Uh, Blue, the Derek Jarman film, uh, which confusingly came out the same year as the Christoph Kieslowski movie of the same, also called Blue. Yeah. Uh, but Blue is uh, a blue screen. The screen is just blue. Mm-hmm. That's it. The and, whole movie. and that's just the visual of the movie. But the audio is uh, interviews with people's experiences with AIDS. Yeah. And uh, just sort of you listen to their stories while you watch this blue screen. And yeah, yeah. it's really, really fascinating. I've heard people argue that is it really a film? And I would be like, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's weird, but yeah. Motion picture, but not, yeah. no motion in the picture. But yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, uh, so, yeah, it's weird. Some people say that, some people say that the blue changes shades over the course of the movie. I'm not sure if that's true. I don't think that's true. Um, I think that's just I, you're, you're searching for. I, I could be wrong about yeah. that. I don't know. Maybe that I does. watched it in. Uh, I didn't. I, I've heard people who saw it on a big screen. Yeah. And uh, they said that when you're staring at a blue screen, some, like something weird happens to your eyeballs. Yeah. And like this weird sort of shimmer starts to appear on the screen and that eventually like fills your entire field of vision. Uh, yeah. So you're actually getting this weird kind of sense experience from just the the static mm. blue screen. Interesting. Uh, and number five is mm. uh, everything Jaf- Jafar Panahi has ever made. Oh, well, there you uh, go. D- you didn't see No Bears. Did I saw No Bears. Oh, okay. uh, he got banned for making movies and has made ten movies since then. Uh, Fucking starting rock with, star. <laughs> starting with This Is Not a Film in 2011, which uh. is about his trial, and No Bears in 2022. The man made a movie called The Mirror, and after the actress quit, he switched on the switched on the fly to a documentary, which is both a fantastic movie and gets his point across a lot more efficiently. Uh, signed, Doctor Nova. Doctor Nova, that's a great that's a great list. Um, we were talking earlier about like art and how art often gets filtered through. Uh, capitalism or through like actual just like work for hire gigs people wanting you to make art for them and we were like yeah it's art but it's kind of like to what end um is there any more like badass art than art you were told not to make (laughs) like your government told Mm. you don't make art Uh, you know like and yet you did it anyway mm. awesome I, i forgot the name of the book but um m night Shyamalan. Mm. Uh, wrote a book about the making of Lady in the Water. Yeah, yeah he did. I'll, uh, I'll look up. That's worth knowing. I'll look yeah, up. The, um, I'll look. But 
Lady in the Water is not a great movie. No. I, I, I think there's some like fun, quirky ideas in it. I think if it's a, more of a comedy than it is a, a treatise on storytelling, the way M. Night Shyamalan thinks it is. Mm. But he wrote a book about its making, and the book is nothing but a, a litany of stories about how everybody told him not to make it because it was a bad, dumb idea. And his response was, I'm going to make it anyway. I'm going to be the badass artist. And it's like, well, you're not being censured. People are just telling yeah. you you have a bad idea. Yeah, no, no again, you, you don't have to tell, to give people money to make art. Mm. You don't have to publish their book. That doesn't mean you're going to jail for it. Yeah. <laughs> Some people actually go to jail for making art and, and good art, too, like powerful art. Yeah, No Bears was really good. I liked No yeah. Bears a lot. Um, uh, can't find the, the Shimalan book. Well, I found a book. I'm just not sure it's the right one because it looks like it might just be like a adaptation uh where it's called uh just lady in the, lady in the water or something something i'm right. like oh, i'll find something I'll, right. I'll see if i can find you you, you keep going i'll All see right. say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill uh, well, here's here's oh, our next letter. It's from Eric. Hello, Eric. Uh, it says, oh, and this one came in today. Uh, oh, great. Gentle beings, after sharing your Jason Chucky headcanon theories, <laughs> uh, I, I theorized that Chucky was actually Jason Voorhees' father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you posited, and these two things fit together, so it's wonderful, yeah. that after a while, Jason died and Mrs. Voorhees actually uh, resurrected a pumpkin head and that's to why, take his place. And that's why Jason is immortal in the movies. So, yeah. 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 We talked about this in our uh, Oscars podcast for some reason. <laughs> we got on Jason. We got, a little, got a little distracted there towards but, uh, the end, but it was fun. After sharing your Jason Chucky head canon theories, I felt emboldened to share a recent theory of mine with you. In Glass Onion, Mm. When presented with the plan to go to Miles Braun's island and engage in subterfuge to catch the killer, I'm being purposefully vague to avoid spoilers, Benoit Blanc explains, I am not Batman. I can collect evidence and present it to the police and court, and that is where my jurisdiction ends. So either Benoit Blanc lives in a universe like ours where Batman is a fictional character... Or he lives in the Batman. He lives in a universe <laughs> with an actual crime fighter named Batman, and the only cinematic universe where he is called Batman and not the Batman is the nineteen sixty six Batman movie starring Adam West and Burt Ward. Interesting. That is head You know what? You know actually you know what? Actually, you know what? I like that. <laughs> because that particular Batman was way more of a detective than even the Matt Reeves version. <laughs> that Batman memorized the phone book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They had bat crime computers. Yeah. That Batman knew his shit. So I buy that that Batman existed, surely in the 60s. Mm. And, uh, uh, and indeed, that Batman was deputized by the police um. department, so he had the ability to arrest people. And I would buy that Benoit Blanc would be specifically inspired by that Batman. Yeah. I like uh, he, he continues. Do it. Uh, Braun. That, that's the um, uh, Edward Norton character. Yeah. yeah, yeah uh, it was, was yeah. Braun. Uh, yeah. Miles, yeah. Uh, Miles, Miles Braun. I think so, the character's yeah. name. Uh, Braun sends complicated riddles mm. to lure his friends to the island. Yeah. He's a dimwit, 
and also the richest man in the world. That sounds totally plausible if he was based in Gotham City. Mm. There's a funny celebrity cameo by Serena Williams in a Peloton window. Cameo guest through a window. Sounds okay. really like that's the Batman TV show. I get it. Uh, Dave Batista looks like a supervillain. <laughs> yeah. And has a henchwoman girlfriend named Whiskey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And tell me that Kate Hudson's Birdie J wouldn't fit perfectly into the Gotham City socialites. You're, you're 100% correct. Once you accept that. the fact that Knives Out and Glass Onion are set in the world of Batman 1966, any and all plot holes and logic inconsistencies go out the window. I humbly accept my no prize. <laughs> your, your patron, Eric. I don't know if we're allowed to give no prizes. I think Marvel still owns those. But if we mm. would, we could. Because <laughs> that is a good one. That is we a good should, one. We should, oh, what, what, can we, what can we call mm. like a headcanon prize? That we would just <laughs> like give unofficially. Yeah, we, we got to come up with like a name for you, a head. You, you get a prize. golden head. No. <laughs> oh wait, that sounds a little dirty. Also, right? that's yeah. also that's uh, that's the prize in um, Taskmaster. What's Taskmaster? Taskmaster is a great British series. Oh yeah, I showed you, told you this, me about one. this one. Yeah yeah, 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 great British series where they challenge a bunch of uh, uh, comedians and uh, TV personalities to perform very bizarre lateral thinking, right. like riddles and mm. and tasks and they're really really fun. i love that show uh, but like of... at the end you you get a the winner of the season uh gets the the host's golden head as a statue oh, right. as, a, as, a, as a trophy <laughs> you get a you, you get a platinum fist <laughs> that's that that's your prize we're gonna have to start making we're gonna think about this now. we're gonna think about this but we All should right. have a prize for the best head cannons <laughs> okay. i actually really like it a lot uh, you know, any anything we can fold into the Batman 1966 universe, <laughs> especially that, <laughs> especially that. Oh, would the, no, it would be too silly if you put the Muppets opposite like 66 Batman, wouldn't it? I think that would create a quantum that's, that's singularity putting, that's, that's like of silliness. Yeah, you know, it's a little, it's, yeah, I don't think you. I don't think that would make it. I don't think that would make either of them better. Yeah. I can imagine Adam West hosting an episode of the Muppet Show yeah. and doing a Batman sketch. Yeah, but I think it makes. I think it's better if Adam West. Mm. Is in the Muppets rather than the Muppets are in Batman. In Batman I think that probably makes better sense for me. I, I I still think um, may, maybe we can get a hold of James Gunn and all of mm. his like and and uh, mm. the, the other guy who's running the new DC Comics universe. Yeah. But um, uh, no movies yet. But they're talking big plans. Yeah, they're working on. Um, we'll see if any of them come to fruition or if it all falls through. We will. Uh, we'll go to that guy mm-hmm. and we'll pitch our. Batman 66 reboot. Like, yeah, it needs to happen. Same, same look, same kind of writing, just a Live new cast. action, yeah. Live action, and yeah, just get a, get a new cast. People would jump at being able to be in that. Thing. Oh, absolutely. The coolest, you get the coolest people hmm. to star in that. I still think Adam Driver would be a great Batman in that one, very specifically. If you ever saw hmm. him on Saturday Night Live, okay. I think you'd see that he, he could totally do uh, that. I, I feel like Adam, Adam West and Burt Ward had something that I haven't seen in anybody else. So That's we'll true. Have to, we'll That's have to true. You'll have, you have to find something do, yeah, magical. Or something. But like, yeah, I think, I think he could do it. I think it'd be great. All right. um, here's a letter from Hans. Hi, Hans. Hello, Hans. Uh, Dear Bibbs and Whitmeister McBold. Ooh. That's me. Um, I'm writing this as a response to your review of Scream 6, another, oh. another new one, uh, in which you asked for younger viewers to send their opinions on the latest film and, as the fr- and on the franchise as a whole. I was born in 1995. I will turn 28 in September. I also grew up in a household that didn't really promote watching of horror movies, so I'm doing my best to catch up on a lot of them, and I only have so much time. As a result, when last year's, last year's Scream came out, that's Scream 5, mm-hmm. I decided to catch up and watch the new one in a theater. I managed to see the original and Scream 2. I enjoyed both, but definitely thought the original Scream was the best. 
my impression of what I'll call Scream 5 uh, was not the best. Hmm. I thought it was just okay. Mild spoilers for that film ahead. Uh, while I like the idea of the villains being angry at the Stab franchise, that's the franchise within the Scream universe, right. for losing its way due to Ryan Johnson, a bit I was fond of and a huge... Uh, as a huge defender of The Last Jedi, mm. I felt that the movie's overall approach was very blunt and also seemed a bit outdated. That, that was a complaint I had. Yeah, that, it's, that it's, it's, like it's following the rules of older past. slashers, not newer horror movies. Well, the, yeah. the, the idea of, like, toxic fandom, it's like, you're, you're trying to bring this up now? It's like you're a decade too late, dude. Well, I'm uh, sorry they didn't get to make a movie a decade earlier. They it's could still relevant. Have, uh, they, that could have been what Scream 4 was about at this it's point. It's still relevant, um, I think, though. But anyway. Uh, uh, Ryan Johnson you'll find it I understand the point and agreed with it but I didn't feel like it had much interesting to say about it I also Mm. felt that the attempts at being meta were wearing thin for me what felt fresh about the original felt tired here fast forward to now having seen Scream 6 I actually came away liking this one a lot more to me the fact that it did away with a lot of the meta narrative stuff was more refreshing it felt like it was just a solid well constructed slasher movie the characters had interesting motivations. I felt for uh, Tara and Sam Splite, those are the main characters, even before they started being targeted again. I liked a lot of the individual sequences. I liked the one in the bodega. I liked the one in the subway. What I appreciated personally was the fact that it felt more like a straightforward but effective slasher. Yeah. On top of that, one of the strengths of Scream as a franchise for me is that the combination of slasher and whodunit. And I feel like the whodunit aspect was quite was done quite well here, too. Anyway, I can see why this would feel like a tired installment of a too long series, but for me, the slasher beats were done well enough for me to enjoy it quite a bit on its own. Also, I love the opening sequence. Yeah. Hope this one 27-year-old's perspective lends some insight. I know I'm just one of many and not any. everyone will have my take, so take it for what that's worth. No, I'm really grateful for that. And I think uh, I think it's interesting because that actually kind of was my take on it, which is, I agree, it's not my favorite uh, of the franchise. It's actually my least favorite of the franchise, but I still like it. Mm. Um, but I think... The, I think they kind of ran out of juice with the meta commentary. And frankly, I think they started doing that in Scream 4. Yeah. Um, and I think they started focusing more on the characters within the series and our connection with, to them. Mm. Which I think is wise. You can you can maintain that long after the novelty of the meta narrative wears off. Um, and I think even in Scream 4, looking at uh, more about fandom than it is about... The movies themselves, because frankly, as commentaries about the movie themselves, I think only Scream 3 really had any bite to it mm. in terms of they were actually had a thought in their head about the films. Yeah. Otherwise, it was basically just the filter through which the characters experience life, and that filter is bound to change as multiple generations go by. Mm. So, and it's interesting. It's, it's interesting that the Scream series is kind of settling into the kind of thing that made Scream necessary. Yeah. You know, just kind of the, more of the same. Not bad, but more of the same. Kind of weird, but whatever. Mm. Glad you liked it. Yeah. I yeah. I, uh, I, I, I didn't like the movie. I know. But I'm not going to begrudge anybody else's uh, well, enjoyment of it. You, you, didn't, you didn't detest it or anything. You just didn't think it worked terribly well. Like, yeah. it was not, it's not like it like offended you. Yeah. You know, so yeah, makes sense. All right. Um, uh, we got time for one or two more. Okay, here's a letter from uh, Musa. Hello, Musa. Hi, Musa. Uh, hello, Bibs and Whitney. So every year, my goal is to watch as many foreign language films uh, as as an English speaker mm-hmm. every year, and I fail miserably. However, last year I got as close as I've ever gotten with 150 English language films and 100 non-English language. Not films. bad. My question to you is: Do you have a favorite? Uh, any favorite countries? Uh, mm. 
for cinema? Interesting. Uh, uh, foreign film movements that don't get enough attention. What are some of your favorite films from that region? Also, is there a particular language that feels easier to process for you? For instance, for me, I'm noticing that with some Indonesian films, it doesn't feel like I'm reading subtitles when watching them. My brain just sort of picks up the language. And even though I still need subtitles, it feels like I can pick up more of the actual movie because the language just clicks in my brain and feels natural. Uh, thank you for all that you do and for taking my question, Musa. Uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting one because again we we try to be hmm. as as uh, global as we can. Yeah, uh, but it's hard. We're kind of deluged with the media from our own country. Uh, it's yeah, what's available. It's what we kind of have to be on top of in a lot of ways. And uh, as a result, it's very easy to sort of fall behind and not can uh, uh, not be able to see as many films, TV, whatever you're into. Uh, from around the world as you'd like. Mm. Uh, making a concerted effort is great. I'm excited that you're doing that. I think that's wonderful. Um, regarding movies from other uh, uh, cultures that really do it for us, um, I think it's better to think of it in terms of like waves than it is about like specifically a country. Like, because a country so, is going to yeah. produce all kinds of art, and no matter how much we, we are able to discover, mm. we're never going to be able to fully delve into all of them and be able to say for certainty yeah, there this country a... has better movies than the other, which I think is kind of a, a weird... Mm. I, I don't think that's the way to go about it. But, but to say that there's like a movement or an era mm. of cinema in a certain place that really excited you, yeah, I think like, that's reasonable. Like, um, I, I'm fond of a, a lot of Japanese cinema, mm -hmm. but I'm not so familiar with... The, the massive amount of films that are shot in that country mm -hmm. that I can just say, oh, here, go to Japan. Yeah. Uh, I can say uh, the Japanese new wave of mm. the 1960s that included yeah. filmmakers like Kaneto Shindo and Kenji Mizuguchi and uh, 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 Kurosawa's in there as well. Yeah. Uh, He'd already been working, but uh, yeah. Teshikahara, that was the name I was ah. reaching for. Uh, Hiroshi Teshikahara. Mm. Uh those are some really interesting movies where uh, a lot of Japanese filmmakers were trying some new things with uh, you know new ideas. Um, there was a wave of uh, exploitation movies that came out of Australia in the early 1980s. Yeah, because a lot of censorship laws had changed very rapidly, mm -hmm. and so all of these really uh, Monster movies and stunt car driving movies and sex comedies started to come out of Australia. And you will not see better exploitation movies <laughs> than the ones that came out of Australia in the early 1980s. That was uh, a pretty glorious age for it. Yeah, yeah. So to see stuff like Road Games. You and I saw Turkey Shoot for the first time ah, recently. Turkey Shoot is amazing. Fucking weird movie, man, but it's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the whole the whole filmography of Brian Trenchard Smith. Is <laughs> um, I I had I've had a few eye opening periods in my uh, uh, film. Mm explorations where I discover like, oh, I didn't like the first time you find out about the French new wave. Yeah. Um, if you've only seen like, if once you like find out that there was this like whole period in like the fifties and the sixties where film critics in France decided to make movies on their own that were in some respects, a commentary on the movies that they loved and also trying to push the medium forward. And they successfully did that. Mm. Uh, you have to check them out. Mm. And you know, not all of them are going to do it for you, but once you find the ones that do, you're going to be like, oh my God, I have to see so many more of these. So you end up like, okay, okay, so maybe 400 Blows isn't for you, but you ever see Shoot the Piano Player? That thing's fucking <laughs> awesome. You know, like I, there's... there's I personally know. prefer Truffaut to Godard, but I still res I still respect Godard. I respect I respect yeah. them all. I think they, they I think all made some amazing things. Uh, Vive Sevi. Uh, I didn't see that one. 
uh, be, be sure to see the the, the films of um, uh, Agnes Varda. Agnes Varda. Cleo from Five to Seven mm-hmm. is one of my favorite movies. One of my favorite movies is also from the French New Wave, although it's a little different from a lot of the other films in it. Um, the Umbrellas of Cherbourg. It's, yeah, it's like, one of the most magical movies ever new, made. New Wave adjacent. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you're talking about the French New Wave, uh, the one that people overlook is the one that arguably started it, but it was released after Breathless. It was made before Breathless, but released uh, after, so yeah. it, it doesn't get the credit. But it's called Paris Belongs to Us mm-hmm. by uh, Jacques Rivette. There's actually, um, a, in The 400 Blows, the family goes to see that movie. Mm-hmm. The movie had not been released yet. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very weird. Yeah, pa- Paris Belongs timeline. to Us is really, yeah. really good. Uh, oh, and also uh, the works of Re- uh, Rene, where... Um, Hiroshima Monomore. Oh, uh, especially Al- last year at Marion Bed. Yeah, Ellen Al- Al- Renee. See last year at Marion Bed. Oh my God, sure. that's fucking awesome. Uh, um, as for, uh, and something I've been meaning to get into is Senegalese cinema. Yeah. Uh, films from Senegal are have been really fascinating, but I've seen precious few, so I can't like recommend some Senegalese cinema, but I've liked what I've seen. Um, in terms of like the aesthetics of a language, mm. you know, we're, we're English speakers. We're we're also yeah. from America, so that means we speak. Do you speak, one, in, do you speak any languages? Pardon? Do you speak um, any other languages? I, I'm taking uh, du- uh, Japanese Duolingo. <laughs> I studied <laughs> I'm, French I'm on, like for lesson forty, so I can kind of have a smattering yeah. of it. I but. studied French for a few years in high school and college, and I understand it better than I speak it. Yeah. So movies that are in France uh, that are set in French, specifically French, and not like you know. Uh, the other French, like adjacent countries, where they have like a very different uh, dialect. Can- uh, Canada or Cote d'Ivoire. Can- Canada, yeah. like they're, they're just the pronunciation is significantly different that it's harder for me to understand. Um, but yeah, French movies, well, okay, all right. I-, I couldn't get through without any subtitles, but I, I pick up on it more. I understand the inflection a yeah. little better. Uh, I- I'd be interested to know if there are any uh, people whose uh, first language is not English. Think of the sound of English. Yeah. Like if you're just listening to, uh, because it's it, it's a pretty glottal, uh, teeth forward language. Mm-hmm. And a, there's a lot English, of different English accents. Is, yeah, there's a lot of different accents. Su- very spread out. Yeah, English isn't like super pretty in terms of poetry. Mm. I feel like it's very versatile because um, it's uninflected, which means word order isn't really nearly like quite a plays a little bit differently in English than it yeah. is in other languages. Yeah. Uh, uh, other languages have, like, verb forms. You put the verb at the end, and mm. you could sort of rearrange things. It becomes uh, a little bit more versatile. Other languages uh, have uh, nouns that are inherently masculine or feminine. Yeah, we don't really do that, that here. Yeah. Das, die, yeah. and dare. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't tell you how, how, how das, die, and dare work in German. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd be interested to know if, if we have a really sort of beautiful... Yeah. cadence of some kind uh, to yeah. the ear of another language it's, speaker. It's like when you uh, go somewhere dramatically different from where you've lived your life and all of a sudden you're surrounded by people who recognize that you have an accent and that they find it interesting. Mm-hmm. That That's always kind of, yeah. kind of I, odd. Uh, you know? I remember reading a study, uh, and this was a long time ago, so I don't remember the source at all, but I remember they uh, polled... Uh, a wide variety of people who don't don't speak English, oh, I, just I've from all heard, around the I world, think saying, yeah. and they gave them a list of English words that uh, had some sort of like uh, vowel and consonant sounds that would just sort of be generally pleasing to the ear. Yeah, and the most beautiful word they chose mm-hmm. in the English language, mm-hmm. without knowing anything, without about knowing it. knowing what the word meant, was diarrhea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a commercial. There's, there's a commercial we have on the radio here. I don't know how far it goes, 
Uh, but it's like a commercial for like Pepto-Bismol or something like that. Uh-huh. And uh, it's basically like, hey, if you've got some stomach trouble, you can buy our product and then you would feel better. I get everything you're laying down, advertisement. I appreciate it. That's a public service. That's a very, potentially very good product. But they have a jingle. Okay. And the jingle is like a list of like symptoms, yeah. you know, like you're gonna it, barf your poop too no, much. No, no, no. Yeah. It's like it's like uh, 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 <laughs> gassy uh, bowel pain, and yeah, then like yeah. the last one is someone who just put way more effort into it than they needed, and oh. it always makes their heart sing every time I hear it. It's like uh, gassy bowel pain, diarrhea, <laughs> and I have so much respect for whoever put. Just the added oomph in diarrhea. <laughs> you're just, they, you knew exactly what you were doing. Oh, my God. And you made it... Spe- See what I mean about how you filter? Yeah, yeah. It's an ad, but you filtered it through an artist. <laughs> and an artist puts the, the art, art on it. The sort of broke through at that point. Yeah. So, anyway, I, um, I don't know about, I don't but, uh, know about it, all that kind of stuff. But anyway. In terms of, like, languages that I just like hearing, even though mm. if I don't speak them, uh, I'm very fond of Portuguese. Mm. Uh, Brazilian Portuguese, in particular. Uh, mm. it's, it's just sort of a... I don't know, it just has has kind of a music to it. Sounds that I, nice. That I appreciate it. Sounds nice. Yeah. Um, I was going to mention, we kind of moved on real fast, the other uh, movement uh, in cinema that meant oh, a yeah, lot to me, that was really inspiring to me, was um, uh, the sort of the Shaw Brothers Golden Harvest kung fu films of the 70s, and okay, yeah, yeah. mostly the early 80s, but in general. Um, that is a very particular brand mm-hmm. of larger-than-life storytelling that is yeah, just... Yeah. If you like superhero movies, realize that that's kind of the best we had for a long time. These mm-hmm. much larger than life, awesome, action packed, beautifully colorful, mm-hmm. uh, 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 just fantastic stories, and just the, the films of like I don't know King Hu or Chang Che or Lao Kar Liang are just yeah. they're just really fantastic. So, that was, so discovering those was a big deal for yeah. me. Um, yeah, and. Uh, I'm fond of the, the Godzilla movies from the 60s and 70s. Yeah, we, we know when. <laughs> we we I, all know. I'm fond of those. Yes. Do you like Star Trek, too? <laughs> you know, the, the, the USS Star Trek never met the, the Mechagodzilla. Well, that's a mistake. Mechagodzilla could probably fly into space. Go I bet warp, it could. Go warp speed. I just once I want to say, like, so we've got something on the monitor. Well, what is it? I don't know, but it appears to be a turtle with jets coming out of its joints. <laughs> This is gamma like Oh it's a it's a gamma. Yeah. Wesley befriends it. <laughs> I hear you're made of turtle meat. <laughs> we get there for one more. Alright, well one more letter, let's see here. Yeah. Um Oh, that that's the one I just read. Oh no. Um, uh, this one's going back a little bit, but this is another uh, sight and sound list. Okay. We, we got a lot of letters for this one. Yeah, yeah. It's always uh, nice to hear people's yeah, list. This yeah. one comes from Brian. It says, uh, Bibbs and McCule, between holiday travel and new episodes not appearing on Critically Acclaimed Net, I followed behind on new episodes, catching up with the sight and sound episode and the subsequent We've Got Mail episodes. I wanted to add my list to the conversation. Thank you. I gave myself two restrictions when coming up with my list. One entry per director and no films from the sight and sound 2012 critics list. Ah. Uh, so, and here's the list. Uh, Falling Leaves from 1912. Alice Guy should, or maybe it's Alice Guy, should be in the conversation about one of the pioneers of film. Sadly, time and the industry have not been kind to her legacy. Falling Leaves is a beautiful short about familial love that shows her mastery of visual storytelling. I haven't seen uh, Falling Leaves. That sounds awesome. Thank you either. for that. Uh, That's great. Ikiru, 1952. Nice. One of Kurosawa's masterpieces, a celebration of life in the face of death. Uh... Dial M for Murder, 1954. Okay. While my favorite Hitchcock film is already the critics' 2012 list, Rear Window, Dial M for Murder is an exceptional taut thriller, and Grace Kelly makes everything better. 
What Fair I love, enough. What I love about Dial M for Murder is you want the killer to get, get away with it for a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. He knows that he knows that like well, but it seems so impec it seems so impeccably laid out the plan. Hmm. They lay out the plan. All perfect like. And then you see it just kind of like little details that even you and the audience didn't see coming that backfire. Yeah. And you're like, ah, oh, there was such a good plan, though. <laughs> even though it's evil, you're kind of you, you. Again, you always appreciate in movies people who are good at their job, even if the job is evil. Uh-huh. You kind of be like, yeah, they're good at it. <laughs> it's always this weird thing in the back of your head. Uh, next up, Harakiri, 1962. Mm. One of the best samurai slash ronin films, while vastly different, it's on par with Seven Samurai. Perhaps Rashomon is a better comparison. Uh, you have to see this. Go go in knowing as little as possible. I've seen mm. Harakiri. Uh, I actually like, haven't. Um, and, um, I, I can give you a, like a little bit of the setup. It's about, uh, a rogue samurai who wanders into the small village. Mm. Uh, and I, if, if I recall, it took place like as a lot of the wars were ending and a lot of, uh, sort of rogue samurai were wandering through and this gave rise to a lot of samurai imposters yeah. who were pretending to be samurai. Samurai were sort of a respected class at the time and they were treated very well. And this guy comes in and says, oh, I'm a samurai. I've failed in my mission, and I'm going to commit harakiri. He's going to uh, you got his yeah. seppuku, his little knife, and and disembowel himself in a, a way that was considered honorable, mm. uh, sort of like an honorable death. And um, in so doing, he sort of all of the villagers say, "Oh well, since this is your last night, we're going to treat you very well and give you a nice meal, and you mm. can sleep here, and I'll have company, and a lot of sake, and everything's going to be really great for you." But you have to kill yourself in the morning. Yeah. And I think his plan was to escape. <laughs> it doesn't go quite as well as he expected. Wait, well, I, again, don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. Next film, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Yeah. 1966. Leone knows how to make sweat, dirt, and grime look magnificent. Eastwood, Wallach, and Van Cleef are larger than life. With those close-ups, Maricone's score is one of the all-time greats. Uh, up next, Star Wars. Okay. 1977. Yeah. My favorite film for as long as I can remember, Star Wars changed film, not because of its groundbreaking effects, but because it is expertly crafted in every aspect. You know what's a good movie? Hmm. Star Wars. Uh, it's it's technically impeccable, except for that smear they put underneath that little land Oh, I hope thing. they fix that someday. <laughs> yeah, go uh, in and put in the uh, digitally yeah. erase that smear. No, no, no. Like, it's, it's always weird for me that like Star Wars, and I realize how populist it is. Uh-huh. Star Wars is one of the popular movies of all time. Sorry, one of the most popular movie series of all time. Um, it's always weird for me how poorly it does on the, on the sight and sound lists. Yeah, it like never yeah. cracks the top one hundred, and well, it, it, been, but it's important. It's significant cinema, and yeah, I think it's very well made. I have issues with yeah. it, but it's very well made cinema. It's well made cinema, especially that that final dogfight sequence where they're kind of awesome. like diving the ships down at I the mean, Death it's, Star. It's, it's yeah. ripped off from the Dam Busters, but it's still fucking cool. Yeah, a sci-fi version of the Dam Busters. Yeah, why not? Fine. Yeah. Um, uh, I've been doing a lot of reading about Star Wars recently as part of my mm-hmm. job. I write at Slash Film and uh, read all these articles and interviews with the people who made Star mm-hmm. Wars. And most of the articles I read about Star Wars, and maybe this is just sort of what's in my path, focus on a lot of the technical aspects. The yeah. making of, the kind of craft, uh, how they made the ships, how they filmed certain mm-hmm. things, uh, the inspiration for characters like Dexter Jetster. Yeah. Um, and... Very few are about its philosophy or mm. its storytelling, apart from, I, I feel like they're still coasting on Joseph Campbell. And that was in, back well, in 1988, yeah. you know, they're, they're, Joseph Campbell and Bill Moyers uh, had this wonderful conversation about how Star Wars taps into a lot of 
uh, ancient mythic storytelling that goes back to the earliest days of storytelling humankind. Yeah, the, the most primal uh, version of storytelling. Mm. And yeah. uh, and I, I feel like like Star Wars just sort of hit a sweet spot, which got sort of the the interest of this scholar uh, Joseph Campbell. Yeah, and it was suddenly like legitimized in that regard. Mm. And ever since that's kind of what we've been falling back on. I know. And there's actually really uh, interesting it's, stuff where there's done in star Wars yeah, that it can be like, I, I hear people like, Oh, well I love the Mandalorian because it's like lone wolf and cub. And I'm like, yeah, that's, there's more, there should be more to it than that. Mm. We, we did a series called episode zero where we talked about the various films that influenced star Wars. Yeah. Um, one of the most exciting things that we did, we watched a movie called Dersu Uzala, mm. and we talked a, about... It's a Kurosawa film. It's a Kurosawa film, and it's a, it's a much more uh, naturalist Kurosawa film. There's no samurai or anything, there's no action, really, other than like a scene where someone almost drowns. Um, but it got us really talking about the way that like Star Wars uses the natural world to tell its stories... We think of the worlds in Star Wars as ice planet, desert planet, even though it's okay, probably yeah. just even though it's probably just one climate on a larger ecosystem. But the way that the natural world and the way that the force connects to the natural world and the way that like a place like Coruscant where the entire planet is a city feels so unnatural and inherently corrupt and there actually is some sort of grander narrative that we're not really exploring. There's a lot of interesting things going on in Star Wars. Is basically the the the, mm. the bullet point of my presentation. Uh, but anyway, it's a good movie. Yeah, mm. oh, yeah. Star yeah. Wars. Yeah, is there uh, more Star Wars? Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. there's only six. Um, 1998, The Thin Red Line. Ah, great list. movie. Uh, Terrence Malick is one of the most unique filmmakers of all time. The Thin Red Line is stunningly photographed, and the capturing the hill sequence is pure tension. Yeah. A Hidden Life may overtake this one in the future, but it's too soon for me. I think Terrence Malick has made several 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 of the great great films of all time. uh, Days of Heaven, Mm. Then Red Line, Tree of Life. Life, uh, You like Hidden Life a little bit more than I do, but it's fantastic. You know, yeah. Hidden Life is a movie about uh, the the importance of pacifism and like true pacifism. Yeah, Yeah. and there are so few films that that bother to espouse that philosophy. Yeah. the Prestige from huh. 2006. Uh, Christopher Nolan is my favorite director. The Prestige is my favorite film of his films, hmm. but I wouldn't be comfortable placing any of his films on. I would be comfortable placing any of his films on this list. A film with a great twist that is just as rewatchable after you know the twist. Hmm. Uh, from the same year, Pan's Labyrinth. Okay. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's fairy tale set against the backdrop of war is visually singular and emotionally gripping. It's a good double and feature, actually. I think The Prestige and Pan's Labyrinth. I think so. They're just two good films that came out that year. I think there's more to it than that, but, but we'll move on. And uh, Moonlight, 2016. Yeah. Barry Jenkins' authentic coming-of-age story is a fantastic exploration of self-discovery. I'm certain ten years ago this list would have been vastly different, so I'm curious to see what my list will be like ten years from now. I always enjoy listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work, Brian. Brian, thanks so much. Uh, I love hearing everyone's lists. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a really good list. That's just rock solid. I love oh, uh, can yeah. I read one more? If, yeah, if you want. Uh, this one's from Cody. Hi, Cody. It says, happy birthday, William. Ah. Sincerely, Cody. Thanks, Cody. <laughs> Had a birthday last week. Um, it, it It's over now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I appreciate all the well. A lot of people send me some nice, really nice messages, and that was really, really nice to you, and I really Did, appreciate that. Do you Thank want to you. say your age, or do you want to leave it? I'm 41. Could have, okay. <laughs> I'm 41. It's fine. Um, I'm in my early 40s. I'll just put it like that. Mm. 
time marches on, and I don't like it. Uh, but I do like that with age comes like a little bit more wisdom. Uh, I'm, I think I'm a, a little bit better, more. I think I'm a little bit more well put together than I was 20 years ago, five years ago, even a mm. couple years ago. Uh, so you know, I, don't, I have nothing against being old. I just don't like being closer to death. But anyway, we're on a. Oh, that's a whole thing. Um, anyway. Thank you. Thank you very <laughs> Thank you much. So much. Thank you so much for the kind word. Thank everyone who said something kind, even if you, you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for yes. being here. Uh, if you want to write in to a future episode, you certainly can. You just got to email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box again? Yeah, send us uh, the letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Uh, yeah, and uh, of course, uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Network. Uh, other ways to interact with us there, we do Discord hangouts. We do uh, a whole bunch of exclusive shows over there dedicated to things like Star Trek. Every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture. We do a podcast dedicated to those. Commentary tracks. We just released one for Pretty in Pink. Uh, and uh, and more. And more besides. Hmm. So uh, thank you everybody who has signed up for that. We could not do this without you. Uh, that is 100% true. We just really, really mean that. Uh, so thank you for everything. And if you want to... Uh, uh, more stuff, you can head on over to patreon.com slash saltcatsoap. Uh, that is the Soap of the Month Club. Uh, my partner and I run. You can uh, order soaps from us, handmade designer soaps. I'm making the next soap. Hey. Uh, and it's going to be one of my banana bars, which are just, they smell wonderful. I've got a few ideas for a new design. I've got to work on that this week, actually. Um, and you can get those if you sign up before the end of the month. So... Head on over to patreon.com slash saltcatsoap. That's currently American uh, uh, American deliveries only. However, uh, if you check out our Ko-Fi store, ko-fi.com slash saltcatsoap, we do do international deliveries there, and we will make some extra bars to sell on that service. So head on over to our Ko-Fi store, and you can get more there. We're also on Twitter at saltcatsoap, and we have a lifestyle podcast we do on the Salt Cat Soap Patreon as well. And we just added a tier where it's just uh, for a few bucks a month, you can just get that podcast. So if you want Fantastic. more podcasts with me and my partner talking about, uh, you know, more more, uh, more, uh, more chill things, <laughs> uh, you can do that. Anyway, uh, but seriously, thank you everybody for writing in. Thank you everybody for listening. And um, that's all. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 